Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Week one, or I should call it episode one, I've been, I've been talking about that uh, in our staff. Episode one of season two of the book of Mark. Who's ready? Who's ready? Come on. That's great. And this morning, I am going to give you the key, the key to all of Jesus' teaching. I know that seems like a really big claim, okay, but I didn't make up the claim, all right? Jesus declares that, okay? He puts it in his word as he says, this is the one, this is the key, this is the most important thing for you to understand if you want to grasp the rest of my teaching. Uh, so there you go, that's where we're heading this morning, and we pick that up in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm probably going to read off the screen because I think I gave them, uh, oh no, we're same translation, New Living, here we go. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, and so he got into a boat, and then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, they grew, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable means. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. That's pretty cool. I like that statement. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. I love that Jesus even structured his, teachers, uh, his teaching in line with Scripture, right? Like he is, he's like, I'm teaching this way for two reasons. One, there's a combination of mystery and understanding, but also because the Scriptures prophesy that this is how I will teach. So I'm going to walk in that. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? There you go. This parable is the key. Understanding this one has significance to understanding every other parable that Jesus uses to teach. Puts a fair amount of significance on this, right? He says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Verse 14. I'm not going to talk on this this morning, but let's just be aware that all of us have the capacity to be a farmer, okay? When we approach Jesus' parables, often we, we see ourselves first in one character. But the reality is, is often we're supposed to take teaching uh, from all characters in the parable. We should be able to relate to every space, okay? So at some point in your life, right, you can be a farmer. You have the capacity to sow seed of the Word of God into people's lives. Pull out your phone, text someone an encouragement in the morning, something like that. You have the capacity to be a farmer, all right? We are going to concentrate on the soil of your soul this morning, all right? We're not going to talk about being a farmer, but don't discount that. Don't only see yourself as someone who is being sown into. See the fact that you can actually also be a farmer, particularly in this community, sowing encouragement to each other. Um, but he says this, 
He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. Two different things. We can hear and not accept. Hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest. There is hearing, accepting, producing. A harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. Let's pray. Father, I pray you, Holy, your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Revelation, would move this morning in our hearts. Help us to grasp the truth in this teaching. Help us to understand the realities of your kingdom that we are a part of. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. I, um, I've been known to be a little bit extravagant at times about things. Uh, you can talk to my wife. I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring, bring it, just tone it down a little bit so I can be more consistent. Right? I have a habit of like spikes of extravagance and then, and then big gaps. Okay? Uh, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to bring it down a little bit and, and go, go, go for a little bit longer. Um, but one thing I do love to do is that when it comes to my kids' birthdays, um, I love to go like the whole nine yards, right? Like I, I really do love to, to do as much as possible. Rach makes the cakes, I design the cakes, I do the icing and all of the construction around it. I'm not quite at a Hamish Blake level if, if you've seen any of his Insta stories, but um, uh, I, I like to take that as inspiration. But one thing I love to do is, um, particularly for Addy, he's at the age where he can read, which is super helpful in, in this particular scenario. But I like to send him on a treasure hunt for his, his presence. And I come up with a whole story that this particular bad spy agency has stolen his presence, um, but that they've left clues along the way. And so I designed this whole thing where he's got to solve clues out of Morse code or invisible ink or, oh, like there's one particular one that has, like he finds a piece of a map that has three different crosses on it. He's got to go to three places that all match together to give him a code that gets him into a phone that has a screenshot of a location that he has to go. Like, like I go next level, okay? Full next level on this thing. At the moment, um, Evie just gets a treasure map because she's, she's still learning to read and Oakley doesn't get anything. Um, but... Who knows, it's a privilege to be a firstborn. I was the youngest. All right, I suffered. Um, but I, my goal is that I will be able to do these things for as long as possible. And, you know, maybe one day when he's old enough that he's, he's buying himself a car or whatever, I can, I can send him on like a, a full, like, drive to locations. I mean, he's going to Sydney and Perth before he's getting his presents, you know. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But too far? No way. No way. But something that I always do, I always make sure that like, the, the, the first clue is always by their bed. But the second clue is always somewhere very close to mine and Rachel's bed. So that I have a confidence that I can stay asleep knowing that he will solve the first clue and come into our room to find the second clue and that will wake me up. Right? So I don't have to set an alarm for his birthday. It's great. He becomes my alarm. It's, it works out very well. Anyway, in, in the same way that... Like for Addy, uh, this year, uh, one of the first clues he went to was 
uh, was actually his code book from his spy kit, okay? And so in that code book, it has how to solve all of the different codes that I've actually then used in the rest of the whole, the whole thing, right? In many ways, to me, that's like this scripture. It's like Jesus is saying, all of my parables, they're kind of in code, and they're in code for a reason. They're in code because those that are in the kingdom are supposed to be able to understand. Those that aren't in the kingdom actually aren't, all right? We'll get onto that later, but Colossians tells us that, 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 that their minds are blinded and all sorts of things, and they can't actually understand the true teaching of the parables of Jesus. And so there's that, but there's also, because he is teaching in line with the prophetic word of Scripture of how the Messiah will teach in these stories that are coded. There's mystery. There's, there's almost this, like, he's putting it out there like, we'll lean in, right? It's not like, oh, I just read it, I just get it, it's plain. No, 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 there is, there is a, almost like a tantalizing nature to the parables that causes us to want to explore. We want to solve the mystery of the teaching. And, and so God's Word draws us in. It, it asks us to ask questions of it and to go deeper into it and to, to pull out the beauty and the mystery in God's Word. And so in the same way that I give Addie the code book, right, as a part of that, Scripture gives us the key. The key to understand, to be able to decode all of the other parables we are given the key right here, the key. So if we can get this one, we have far greater capacity to understand all the other parables that Jesus teaches, okay? And I was going to start just briefly because obviously, you know, we're in, we're in season two, but previously in Mark, in case you missed season one, uh, we went through the first three chapters and we found out that Jesus claims and demonstrates his deity, Okay, so we are at a point in Mark's story, his, his retelling of his life with Jesus, where he has made it plain to us, Jesus was not hiding, that he was the Son of God. Okay, whether it was his, his authority over uh, the demonic, whether, whatever it was, we taught on it, not going back, but we did announcing authority. He announced himself. Then he begins to institute what is going to be the new way of the kingdom of heaven. The new way, and he starts to sort of rail against this traditional religiosity that was actually binding people up and keeping them restricted from, from true relationship with God. Okay, and so he, he starts to go, and we, and we talked about when tradition actually becomes a trap. But just after that, uh, Mark records for us about how Jesus begins uh, to teach, and he begins to teach on these principles of the new. Just after he's railed against the old tradition, kind of saying, this is not working anymore. I am here to bring in this new way to relate to God, this new way to have relationship with the God that created you. He begins to teach these things. And it's, it's a very clear section change in Mark's recount. Okay, we've got to remember, Mark is not trying to give us every single moment that happened in the history of, of Jesus. He is, he is recounting for us deliberate moments so that he can show us that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did. Okay, so don't expect to have find every detail and don't expect every detail chronologically, say, to match up all the time because Mark is using his experience to tell us a very specific story. Okay, and so when he shifts from that moment where Jesus is, he's telling us that Jesus railed against tradition and then shifts to unpacking these new teachings, we should recognize what Mark is doing and recognize that Mark is going, that was the old, and Jesus started to push against that, and then he began teaching what the new is going to look like. And so if you want to know about what does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven, these parables are really powerful because these are the moment, this is the moment where Mark says, 
Jesus began to teach us what it's going to be like. I don't know if you, if you ever, uh, when you were growing up as a kid, I, what, the one thing that I, I really, 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 really wanted was a skeleton key. Was anyone like that? Like, you, does anyone know what I'm talking about with a skeleton key? Well, I don't, know, I don't know what I would have done with it, but just the fact that I had it, you know, just the fact that I had the capacity to get into anywhere that I wanted at any point in time. Like, I don't even know if they were real things, but, but I don't even know where I picked up, like, obviously shows I watched or whatever, um, this, this concept that there was this skeleton key. We're about to dive in uh, to this skeleton key of Scripture this morning. Uh, how was that? That was so smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so smooth. So smooth. It's great. All right. Mark wants us to get, plain, get this plainly. Uh, he wants us to use this parable to understand all the rest. And I know I'm harping on that point, uh, but Jesus made that clear. So we, we, can't, we can't skip over and be like, oh, yeah, I know the, I know the parable of the sower. What if, you, what if you're missing something? What if God has something fresh for you this morning that is going to actually help unlock a whole lot of other stuff in his word? Verse 9 says, anyone with ears to hear, let him hear and understand. Paraphrasing. We choose this morning if we have ears to hear. It is our choice, it is our posture, whether or not the ears of our heart, the place in which the Holy Spirit dwells in our life, whether we have allowed that door to open and the spirit of revelation to be at work in our lives. That is our decision. We do all we can. Our worship team is, is encouraging you to enter into that place, to go to that, open up faith in your heart, open up expectation. All of, like, we are moving everybody collectively to a point where hopefully right now you are like, God, I, I want you to give me revelation this morning. I want to hear from you this morning. Do you have ears to hear? Because verse 11 says you are permitted to understand. There are so many times I've heard people say, I just don't understand Scripture. Now, that may be true, but the, the truth that is deeper than that is that Jesus himself has said, you have permission to understand. You're permitted to understand. You aren't, you aren't kept out anymore. You have been brought into a place where you are permitted to understand the very deep mysteries of Scripture. So stop using that as an excuse. The guys that were praying this morning told me that I, I needed to make sure I said the sweet with the sour this morning. So you can blame them <laughs> if I say anything that nudges you a little bit today. But stop using the fact that you can't understand Scripture as an excuse when you have been given the spirit of revelation, the one who inspired the writing and knows exactly what it means. You have him inside of you. It's just sometimes we use the ears of our physical world, the ears that are tuned to the, 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 the cadence of culture. They're tuned into the, the rhythm of our world. And so we, we read Scripture and it seems like it's jarring. It's, it seems like, how does that even translate into well, I don't understand that. Rather than in tuning in the, spirit, the ears of our spirit, the ears of our heart, where the Holy Spirit, who is revelation, lives, and allow him to bring revelation that, yes, absolutely might sound completely countercultural, but that doesn't actually diminish the reality of its truth. So the beautiful thing about this scripture, the beautiful thing about all scripture, and I had a conversation with Rachel about this the other day, is that scripture reads us. 
Right? She's like, what does that even mean, mate? So it's, pff, I hate it when you say that. No, she didn't say that, but... She's like, what does that even mean? You say it wasn't mean. It's like, well, well, when I look at Scripture, it's like it's a mirror that I see myself being reflected back in, right? It's like it's read me and written how I am, okay? Uh, it's like Scripture, what it articulates very clearly is the human condition. It helps me know me because I'm human, and it writes about our humanity. It makes our humanity plain. It doesn't gloss over it. It talks about our, 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 our weaknesses, our proclivities, our temptations. And too often, if we don't acknowledge those in ourselves, we come to Scripture and we begin reading and we're like, oh, oh, that's me. And it's like Scripture has read my heart, my realities, and it's written it plain as day in front of me. That's what it means. And, and particularly... This parable, we have to understand that we, as humans, are all of those states of soil. We don't get to sit there and be like, oh, I'm the good soil. (laughs) Someone else in here is the soil with all the rocks. You thorny person, right? We don't get to do that. We are all of this all the time. One day, we might have a moment where we have good soil, and the Word of God we read on our Bible reading app that day, it's like, oh man. But can I tell you, that's pretty rare for most of us. Most of us live with the, the, the soil with the rocks underneath it, or we live where we allow the weeds to grow up and strangle out the Word of God. And when I say we, I include me. And if we aren't willing to accept that when Jesus is explaining this, we are potentially the farmer, but most of all, we are all four states of soil in our soul, then we won't allow it to give us a clarity on how we can help ourselves in our journey with Jesus. Because we will be like, ah, I'm the good soil today, you know? And chances are, you might have actually one part of, like, the garden bed of your heart might be good soil. But there's probably a whole lot of, like, I don't know if your veggie garden's like my veggie garden, where it's like, I've, I've worked on, like, one small space, right? Like, the other day, I had some fruit trees to go in, and I, 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 I cleared, like, maybe, I don't know, two meters of our garden bed, which is, like, 19 meters long. And I cleared two meters. And so two meters of that garden bed is good soil, Two meters of that garden bed has plants that have gone in and the roots have gone deep. And I know because there's all this beautiful like, life coming out of it right now. The flowers are popping and green leaves are coming and you know, apples are coming and we make apple pie. and It's going to be great. But, but the rest of that 17 meters of garden bed will have a whole lot of, some will be rocky, some's got weeds all over it. Some of it, I have no idea of the state of that soil because I've never gone there and explored it. And that is the reality with our heart. You will have some spaces in your heart, in your life, where the soil is good. You will have other spaces in the soil of your heart where there is rocks right under the surface. You'll have other spaces in your life where where the weeds, and Jesus describes all this, so it's great, right? Like, we don't have anywhere to hide because this is one of the only scriptures that he actually gives an explanation, one of the only parables, mainly because it's the key. And he's like, I'm going to give you the explanation as well because this is so important. But it doesn't give us anywhere to hide because now we can't, we can't argue away the reality that, that the pressures of this life, 
worries, the lure of wealth, right? The desires of all of the things that culture pushes on us all of the time that we all battle against because we all want all of that stuff or whatever you put stuff as, status, popularity, whatever. We all battle with that. We all allow it to grow up and it chokes off stuff from the Word of God in all of our lives. And you can't hide from that. And the reason I feel like not just that this is, is key Well, the reason it's key is because all the other teachings of Scripture is seed. And so if we don't work out how to allow our heart to receive seed, we will limit all the rest of the teaching of Jesus taking root in our lives. That's why it's the key. That's why Jesus says this Scripture is the key. Because this Scripture is Him teaching us about whether or not we have the capacity to actually receive the rest of His teaching. So now now it's like, okay, now I know what's limiting me. It's the state of the soil of my heart. But the second thing is because all through the New Testament, in fact, I could probably argue all through the whole of Scripture, the goal of our life is fruitfulness. Yep. Yep. This is exactly what we've been talking about in vision. It is being activated back to a position of, of, of fruitfulness for God's kingdom. It's about realizing that we have been positioned with a purpose. It's realizing that we have been made with a particular set of personality, giftings, whatever it is, and then we have been placed in a particular context, not just to have a good time in life, but to be effective for the kingdom of God, to have fruitfulness in our lives. And do you want to know how Jesus finishes this scripture? He, He says, the good soil brings fruitfulness. The good soil brings fruitfulness. And he says, there's all these other states of your heart, all of our hearts, that don't. That's pretty much it. It's like there are, there are three ways that we receive the Word of God. No fruitfulness. There's one, fruitfulness. And it's very clear that Jesus is, is comparing the goal, fruitfulness, okay, with all the ways that we hinder ourselves from moving into that space. So let's take a little bit of a look through some of these, remembering that we don't, we don't right now get to be like, oh, that's not me, that's that person over there. We all have all of these states of soil all the time in our life. And this morning, I really believe that God is going to put his finger on just one. Because he is not trying to move you so drastically, okay? He is a God of steps. Step by step by step. And this morning, there is something in all of our lives that he wants to put his finger on. And it is either going to be a rock or it is going to be an area of, of, of garden in your heart that is all wrapped up in a certain weed, thorny weed, and he's going to be like, it's time to clear that out. It's time to clear that out. So let's start, first of all, with, with the path. And there's, there's interesting because there's different things in, in how Jesus describes it when he's teaching the parable and how he describes it when he's when, he, when, he's, when he's helping us to understand the power, when he's going through the, the, the description of the teaching. But basically, seed gets sown, falls on the path, the birds come down, they eat it up, and Jesus is like, that's, 
the description of what happens when the word of God gets sown and immediately Satan snatches it. And it's like, well, what does that sound like in our life? How do I know if that's happening to me? Do you know where Satan works in your life? Are you aware of it? Scripture's really clear. Most of the time, Satan works in your life between your ears. Up here. That's the battlefield of the mind, right? Where we are told in Corinthians to take every thought captive, okay? Uh, In fact, Paul teaches so much on the mind if you look into it because he realizes that that is the space in which we allow access, all of us, let's not be like, oh, well, no, I'm fine. No, all of us have spaces in our mind, in our thinking, in our thought life that allow access to the influence of the enemy where he can drop little thoughts in. And even if we think we're covered, the reality is that the enemy has, because he's the God of this age and this world, he has the capacity to drop thoughts in your mind whether you think you're good or not, okay? So, so one, of, one of my favorite Statements made by a guy named, uh, named Neil T. Anderson. He says, one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy is to put a thought in your mind and make you believe that it's yours. And so this is what the enemy does. This is what immediate removal sounds like. Preach the word of God and your mind goes, ah, it's not true. The first thought that comes into your mind the moment the word of God is preached is like, ah, it's good, but not for me. Is immediately snatched away. I don't know how many times, honestly, how many times I have prayed for healing for people, full expectation that God can do it for them, but there's a thought in my mind that's like, not for me. And so we hear scripture and we're really good at believing it for other people, but we allow the enemy to come and snatch it away for us. It's like, oh, God can do it for them, but not for me. That thought goes on in our head. Maybe it's not even consciously, right? Uh, uh, science would tell us that we have like the, the, uh, the, the non-conscious part of our mind is wildly active. Okay? And so maybe it's, maybe it's just a non-conscious st- stance almost that you have that, that that truth, that revelation, immediately gone. You don't even allow it to land in your heart. It doesn't even get to land. It's gone straight away. You dismiss it. It is a thought that dismisses Scripture as true or relevant to you. You just mute my mic for a second. I'm going to cough. (coughs) Thank you. Now, I love Jesus. He's incredibly gracious in this Scripture because he doesn't mention any of the, the spaces in our life that we don't even allow the seed to be sown. Like he starts, he starts with, you know, it's sown on the path. There's a, there's a reality before this, all the times that we choose to position ourselves away from where the seed is being sown. And, and we need to consider that, that if we limit the time that we spend in the spaces and the places where the seed is sown, we're not even allowing it to get anywhere near the soil of our heart. Well, let's talk about the shallow soil. Jesus describes it when he's teaching it as shallow soil with underlying rock. I find that description incredibly interesting. Underlying rock. And in his explanation, he tells us that that underlying rock limits one thing. It limits the roots going deep. Now, if I could describe my life 
in a picture, this would be it. Because I am that person that is like, I, I, will, I will have an extravagant first response. I told you earlier, right? Like, I'm the person that will do the extravagant thing, but then kind of nothing, right? It's like that moment when we hear something about God, like, like we get the first time we get that revelation that God heals. And we're like, oh my goodness, I pray for everybody. God heals. It's amazing. And we go and we start praying. And then, and then we're like, but he didn't heal, and he didn't heal, and he didn't heal. And then that, that, that dies in us. And so we stop praying for people. And the interesting thing is that, that often we do this. Often we grab a hold of a revelation, or we grab a hold of something, and we take off like a rocket. We're all in. And I'm not saying don't be all in, okay? But what we don't do is we don't give ourselves the time. We don't allow the Holy Spirit to work with us on the rock that is in our heart that is stopping the roots going down deep. And so, I'll just talk about me. How's that? That's probably easier. So we make this extravagant commitment to get up. I'm going to get up and pray every single day. This is just a very practical example. And then raising three kids and having bad discipline in the evening, so I go to bed late. Starts to have an effect on what that alarm feels like in the morning. And so rather than go to work on the rock, which is my lack of discipline, I peter out. Until the next time I get inspired to pray again. But don't worry, your pastor prays. All right? But this is a real battle for us. We, we, I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to read the Word every day. And for some reason, we start in, like, lamentations. <laughs> You're like, oh, man. This is heavy. Or, or we start somewhere like, this is boring. God's not speaking to me. And there's a rock. And often, I would describe rocks as a number of things. One of the first things rocks is, is past experience. So every time we try to step out for God and do something, past experience pops up. It actually stops us growing in the revelation that God's given us. Or it's a component of our character that God wants to go to work on. So maybe it's our discipline. Maybe it's our perseverance. We need to persevere through some spaces in Scripture where the first morning it was boring. God didn't say anything to me. And so rather than persevering through what is hard, which if we did would enable us to grow roots down deep, Psalm, Psalm 1 says is, is critical to access in the life source of the Spirit in our lives. So rather than going through what's hard, we wilt. Or, and I could go on with a whole lot of things. We go from one relationship, the moment it starts to get hard, we go, we go to the next, we go to the next, 
we go to the next. Or a job that we thought, this is from God. I'm here on purpose. I'm going to evangelize every single person in the place. I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. And the first time you do it, someone laughs at you or tells you you're an idiot. And the pressure of the persecution comes and you wilt. Or the job is hard. Or the job suddenly feels boring. It was really exciting at the start. And you wilt. And so you leave and you try something new and you go to another job. You want to know what deep roots produce in a plant? Consistent capacity. They are no longer at the whim of the season. They have capacity to produce fruit in every season. Someone, someone, fruit in every season. Other things that rocks represent are areas of pain, disappointment, discouragement, misunderstanding. So sometimes we have a poor understanding of Scripture. And so when persecution comes or pressure comes, we wilt that particular growth of revelation in our heart. Remembering we're a long, wide garden bed. Okay, this isn't, this isn't a description of every single part of our lives. We might have some part of our life that was planted in the good soil and, it, and it's flourishing and it's producing fruit. You might be like so generous all the time and there's this overflow of generosity and that particular seed that was planted years ago went into good soil. There was no, there was no pre-baggage in that soil. There was no underlying rocks just under the surface, no, no underlying hard parts of your heart underneath the surface. That particular part of your heart had good soil. It went in, it's producing loads of fruit. But you know there's other parts. There's other parts. And every time you hear a message on that one thing, goes in, you're like, this time is going to be my time. This time I'm going to change. I'm going to go for it. And you go with this sense of excitement. And as soon as that little bit of pressure comes, or as soon as that persecution comes, or that difficulty comes, we wilt. And we die and we don't produce fruit. I'm telling you, I know one person that can help remove rocks really well. It's Jesus. We have to first acknowledge we have them and then bring them to him and be like, this is stopping me every time. I want to produce fruit in this area of my life, but every time I hit this rock and I know I hit this rock and I'm at the point of my life in some of my cycles where I, I can describe that rock really well. I tell Jesus about that rock all the time. You want to know what I struggle with? I struggle with partnering him to get the rock out because that is a whole lot different to talking about the rock, telling Jesus you've got a rock. He knows you've got a rock. He knows your whole heart. He already knows it's there. But what we like to do is we like to talk about it rather than do some gardening in the soil of our soul with the Holy Spirit. The last one, let's talk about weeds. Let's talk about thorny weeds. It says that seed fell represents those that hear God's word. All too quickly, the message is crowded out. So what's interesting here is there's, no, there's nothing under the surface in this soil. It's actually pretty good soil. It's good enough that weeds grow. So this represents an area in our heart where we are open and willing. But what happens 
So we hear the word of God, but then the worries of life start to pop up. It says the lure of wealth. Man, that, that, that lure, that never ends. It's constantly there trying to choke us out of stepping into the, the generous lifestyle that God wants us to live, where we are free, where we are giving, you know. But it's not, it's not just that. It's the, what does is, what is Scripture say? It's the desire for other things. Man, that's pretty broad. Like if that was a broad statement in Scripture, that's right up there. Just a desire for other things. Other things than what? Other things than the fruitfulness of the Word of God in your life. Man, there's, there's nowhere to hide in Scripture. It's like, ah, man, that's like, I can't get out of that one. We all have them. And we will all have them for years, guys. This isn't like, oh, I'm going to deal with all of the weeds in my life this morning. No, you're not. That's, that's, the same, that's the same as the rocky soil. They take off at this extravagant pace. I'm going to deal with all my issues in one morning. No, you're probably going to get prayer for one. And Scripture says that, there's, that the anointing breaks the yoke of slavery. So there'll be a moment where it's like, boom, something's happened to that rock. But you want to know what? That's the beginning of the journey. Then you get to work it out. Then you get to go on a journey of, of transforming yourself through the renewing of your mind where all of the thoughts that are attached to that rock now need to get dealt with. So don't think that ministry is a moment. No, ministry is a journey. The freedom is a journey. Yeah, yeah. What happens we come down and we have poor teaching in our soul like this rock where we think, oh, I'm going to get free by one moment of prayer. Well, you got free with one moment on the cross and it hasn't changed much. Sorry, that was a bit harsh. But if Christ set us free, Christ set us free. Everything. I have to remind myself of this in those areas of my life where I'm like, oh God, set me free from this. I'm like, hang on, you did. You did. So what does that mean for me now to work that out, to walk that out? If I am free of that, it has no power over me. I'm no longer bound to it. It doesn't strap trap me up anymore. I am free. So now what? Sometimes we need someone who is filled with the Spirit of God and faith to come and lay hands on us and revive that revelation in our spirit, but it doesn't change the fact that to come to a point of living out that freedom, there is a journey of digging that rock out, turning that soil over. Sometimes you've got to put some, God hands you some manure in life and you've got to put it in there and dig it around, right? No one likes hard things, but sometimes they're exactly what you need. But these weeds, these weeds are a constant. I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter how many times. I mean, I have, I have designed garden beds with weed-free soil. Can I tell you how long it takes before a weed appears? Like a week. I'm like, where did you even come from? I shipped this soil in, right? Like I, I, I sprayed Roundup the other day. Roundup is one of my friends, right? Like we had a lot of concrete in our house. And like, man, I will round up those weeds, let me tell you. It doesn't last. Why? Because culture's not going anywhere. We live in an ever-present tide of culture that fuels our desire for other things. Other people, 
other jobs, other houses, other cars, other lives, other positions of authority or influence, just other, just other, other than the kingdom of heaven. And when we dwell on those things, it's interesting if you read neuroscience books, they will describe your thoughts like trees, like these little plants that shoot up. And the only way that I know to keep a garden bed weed-free is the moment I see that weed shoot up, pull it out. I pull it out. You want to know what's better than like one four-hour weeding session? Is one five-minute weeding session every day. Every day. I walk around my veggie garden. I'm like, oh, that's one. That's all it took. Boom, clean that up. But if I leave that for six months, you want to know how many weeds are going to grow in that soil? You know how big those weeds are going to get? I'm telling you, I won't be producing no snow peas and tomatoes. Onion weed will choke that stuff. Oh, I tell you, onion weed, that's from the devil. (sighs) Don't get me started on that thing. But the way we deal with weeds, we first have to understand that there is no thing you can do to stop them coming, okay? You can't get to a point where you're not influenced by the culture around us. Okay, if you know that, and Scripture kind of speaks to us about this when it says, the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeing who can devour, therefore be on guard. He doesn't say, do this and you're good forever. No, he says, be on guard because it's a constant. This is the same with the soil of our heart is we have to be on guard as a constant because we are constantly in the world. We are constantly in culture. We are constantly getting pushed against with this tide of relativism and this tide of all sorts of these other things that if we're not careful, we're just allowed to take root and they grow up and they choke off what the Word of God says is true about us and other people. And you've got to, as soon as it lands, you can't stop it from landing. Just like the Word is sown, man, we are in like a tornado of the seed of the world. It's constantly landing on our hearts. Social media, news, music, movies, TVs. It's, it's, it, it, we live in it. The worst thing you can do is assume that your heart will never grow weeds. That is the worst thing that you can do for yourself. Because then you will deceive yourself into thinking that everything that grows is from the Word of God. I would prefer to take the opposite perspective and, and assume because I am immersed in culture like 20 hours of a day, I do sleep, maybe a slightly less than that. And the truth is, I'm, I'm not in the Word as much as I'm in the world. None of us are, okay? So it's safer to assume that what grows is potentially weeds and I should go and check it, right? Like, like Paul says in Corinthians, anything that doesn't line up with the truth of Jesus, take that thought captive, pluck that weed out. How how do you test? How do you test the stuff that's growing in the soil of your heart? You test it against this because chances are it's something else because we live in that constant sowing of cultural weed in our heart, whether it is the... the, Man, we live in in such an age of of self. But you want to know what? That entire premise is not scriptural. Anything that is linked to the pursuit of me my truth, that's not scriptural. 
And many of us have this morning allowed weeds that are culturally rooted, culturally sown, to grow up and choke off the truth of God's word. And so now we are taking scripture, we are taking truth, and we are warping it because the weeds are so strong. And we are making life decisions. We are making stances on things based on the weeds that have grown, not realizing they're not sown from the Word of God. Now, I know that sounds all very serious. I'm like, oh. But I believe the Holy Spirit is putting His finger on one thing this morning. Just one, okay? His grace is sufficient for all the areas He hasn't put His finger on yet. That's really freeing, okay? His grace is sufficient. If he's not putting his finger on something this morning, don't, don't like go searching for it. I used to do that and I would live under this condemnation because I would always find things. And if I didn't, the enemy would present me with some. Okay? Um, okay, so if God's not putting his finger on something this morning, then his grace is sufficient. And I believe as, as, as we go through this series, he's got things he wants all of us to be transformed in. He wants to pull out some weeds so that that little seed of the Word of God can get some light, can get some nutrient. That's what, that's what weeds do. They steal water, nutrient, and the soil of the resource of the soil from the plant that's trying to grow. They choke it out. They suffocate it. You know, like that overwhelming sense of fear about something that suffocates you and stops you moving forward. Jesus says the worries of this world. I talk about like fear. Like who's a parent here and doesn't fear something to do with their kids Jesus says trust me let the little ones come to me they're his kids before they were ours says that they're a gift from heaven to us he knows about your kids don't let fear suffocate you into a style of parenting that might restrict or you know we allow fear to to move us in spaces and places doesn't have to be parenting it can be all sorts of things but as soon as we allow fear to dictate it's not producing the fruit of the kingdom in our lives but we do it all the time all of us all of us and so maybe the Lord is putting his finger on a particular fear a particular concern a particular worry that has begun to to overshadow certain truth in your life and, and choke it out. And it's no longer giving you life. It's no longer bringing joy or peace. It's being choked out by this fear or this worry. You know, at the end of the day, our goal is fruitfulness. And the truth is that God knows the best way to move us there. He knows the rock that is being most restrictive. He knows the weed that is being most suffocating to the place he wants to move you into next in terms of increasing your fruitfulness for his kingdom. He knows. All I'm saying this morning is allow him to put his finger on something so that you might be able to move into an even greater state of fruitfulness for his kingdom.
any gardener will tell you that soil prep is the most important part of growing beautiful, fruitful trees. And that is what we want to be. We want to be the Psalm 1 tree planted by the river, flourishing and producing fruit in all seasons. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.